exciting news. Tickets for the Conference on Religious Trauma, Court 2023, are now available. Also, if you're interested in an ad-free version of the Divorce and Religion podcast, come join me over on Patreon. Links for both are in the show notes. Thanks. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Divorcing Religion podcast. I'm your host, Janice Selby. I'm a registered professional counselor and a religious recovery consultant. I have a real treat in store for you today. Joining me again is Seth Andrews, who was also my very first guest on the first episode of the Divorcing Religion podcast. Seth Andrews is a former evangelical and Christian broadcaster who now hosts The Thinking Atheist, one of the most popular podcasts and online atheist communities in the world. The Thinking Atheist is not a person. It is an icon, encouraging all to reject faith and pursue reason and evidence. Seth has authored five books, including his latest offering, Christianity Made Me Talk Like an Idiot. He also hosts a second podcast, True Stories with Seth Andrews. Seth has spoken for audiences large and small in the U.S., Canada, Europe, and Australia about his former faith, the promotion of science and skepticism, the importance of humanism in this often crazy world, and why we should all pursue a personal relationship with reality. And I will finally get to meet Seth in person in May when we both speak at the Western Canadian Reason Conference, also known as We Can Reason. Links for that will be in the show notes. Hi again, Seth. Hey, I was waiting for you to punch Canada when you were talking about the places <laughs> I've spoken. Like, he's spoken at here, 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 and Canada. But uh, <laughs> no, you play. You took the high road on that. <laughs> well, you know. No, it's always good to hang out, Janice. Thanks for talking to me. It's good to be here. Well, you know, another... Uh, Another famous writer who does happen to be Canadian and someone that I'm really hoping will agree to be on the show is Peggy Atwood, otherwise known as Margaret Atwood. Mm. But, you know, we Canadians, we're all like that with each other. Right. My husband actually used to go bird watching with Peggy and her husband, Graham. So it right. would be a real coup if I could get her to join me as well. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, talk about a relevant conversation as well. Uh, you know, I, I went back and reread The Handmaid's Tale mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years ago, and I got chills. Yeah. You know, because sometimes we, you know, when we invoke Atwood's work or Orwell, et cetera, you know, we, we tend to, we, many people would say we're being hyperbolic. Oh, you're being melodramatic. Oh, it's, you know, this <laughs> dystopian future that you are worried about. And, um, no, no, it actually seems extremely alarmingly relevant. And uh, it's, these are scary times. And I go back and forth, you know, because I see the rise of the non-religious, especially in, you know, the 25, 30 and under crowd. Mm -hmm. They're not atheists or agnostics necessarily. They just, you know, they don't, they're not engaged in religion. They don't want it, don't need it. They mm -hmm. certainly aren't interested in the bigotry and these sort of hard dividing lines, the judgment, the health theology, the naming, blaming, and shaming, all of that. Mm -hmm. They don't need that. Mm -hmm. But as I, you know, I'm encouraged by this new generation or a couple of generations of increasingly secular people, I'm also seeing this entrenched and dangerous power grab by the hardline Christian nationalists who are waging war on basic decency, the rule of law, the Constitution. And I'm 
I go back and forth. You know, it's like a pendulum. I saw a meme once where it's like, we're totally screwed. And then it swings over and says, things are going to improve and every day will be better. And then I swing back to, we're totally screwed. And I do this on an hour by hour basis. So, yes. Uh, and I mean, no doubt the, uh, the recent, um, indictment of Donald Trump. I mean, we were doing a jig in our place here in Canada last night. We were just so thankful and hope that it's just the the first of many um, that are that are coming. We we want to see justice served because justice does matter. And it feels like justice has not been served in the United States uh, for the last number of years. And for some people groups uh, in the United States, it's like justice has never been served. And it does feel frustrating thinking we had come so far uh, and then really now just realizing actually we hadn't. Only some of us had come that far. There are a number of folks still who um, did not evolve at all or not very much during that time. And so now we're having to face what that looks like and how two polar opposite groups can live together in the same country with the same laws. I've heard some people get angry at me for being political. Seth, why don't you just talk about religious issues? Why do you have to get into politics? And I'm like, everything's political. Mm -hmm. Religion has been weaponized in politics. Mm -hmm. Politics speaks to our values, which is about basic human rights and the rule of law and enforcing uh, the Constitution, or at least reading it correctly as a framework for this nation. It impacts my value system when it comes to everything from right to die issues, medical aid and dying, the legalization of drugs and drug policies, foreign policy. You know, I, mm -hmm. I think, how do you not talk? I, to me, it strikes me as an extremely naive position, potentially a position of privilege. Well, if it doesn't affect me, mm -hmm. it doesn't effect, right? If it doesn't matter to me, it doesn't matter. Or you've got your head in the sand or I, I don't know. I, I It frustrates me because they forced our hand when Donald Trump is weaponizing the evangelical right, even though I don't believe he is in any way a religious person. Right. Uh, he doesn't know his Bible, right? When no. he tear gassed the crowd so that he could go and wave a Bible he does not read in front of a church he does not attend. And that symbolism is enough to rally this group of sort of chest-thumping, gun-waving, Bible-banging, evangelical right-wingers in this country. You know, he's being strategic. And he has, again, merged religion and politics in a way that none of us ask for, but we certainly have to respond. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are now. We're on the brink of what I fear will be a national level Christian jihad. Mm -hmm. I worry that the martyr syndrome that he is promoting is mm -hmm. going to result in people taking their weapons and firing in the streets because they believe this is somehow a, a crusade to save democracy, to save the rule of law, to save Christianity, to save God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people can get really... Uh, you know, when people start doing things in the name of God, <laughs> as you and I both know from experience, just 
you know, it, it um, it's it, it, these are are very trying and concerning times. I wake mm-hmm. up every day dreading when I log on to the world to see what insanity is going to be happening next. Yes, yes. I read uh, an article yesterday about a young Iranian couple. I mean, they look like they're in their early twenties. The whole social media influencer type thing, and they are in Iran, and they had um, recorded themselves dancing, and so they now have both been sentenced to imprisonment in iran for dancing and i think how can this be how in 2023 how are we still ruled by this archaic mythology uh and patriarchy it just it doesn't seem it doesn't seem right and we have to somehow be able to move beyond it to evolve as a society so that um Everything doesn't come down to religion, because even when we look at our our laws, uh, well, in, in America's case, your money, uh, God still, the idea of God and religion and Christianity is ever present. There's no yeah. escape from it. And I, Well, and it's, it's so often a controlled culture. It's a shame culture. Mm-hmm. I'm alarmed at how much of what's being done is really an attack on women. Mm-hmm. on their identities, on their bodies, on their sexuality. Mm-hmm. We're seeing, you know, this, uh, I mean, I always knew that, that it was a problem, but I'm, I'm chiding myself for just how naive I was. Like, I thought, well, it's getting better, right? Five, 10 mm-hmm. years ago when I was activisting, I thought, well, you know, we're, we're entering a greater age of enlightenment, which may be true, but I'd underestimated how somebody would execute a hostile takeover of the United States Supreme Court to strike down reproductive rights in this wow. country and to watch the governors okay. doing what they do. My own governor, Kevin Stitt, Texas Governor Abbott. We're watching Ron DeSantis, who's priming for his own presidential bid. They are gleeful bigots who have planted their dominionist flag in the uteruses of 166 million American women. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's biblical. And I don't mean that as a compliment, because Mm -hmm. uh, I'm actually touring with a speech that talks about uh, the control of people, their identity, their sexual identity, uh, their reproductive identities, etc. And so often how women are right there in the crosshairs. And I once thought, well, we've crossed that big hurdle. So now it's just a matter of getting rid of the fringes. Mm -hmm. And instead, I've watched the fringes somehow weasel their way into the halls of power and now we've you know and now we're back to if not square one it's certainly one of the first squares and we've got to we've got to climb the mountain all over again um oh yeah it's really frustrating and it feels like um the the extreme right uh is salivating at the opportunity then to repeal other uh laws and things that have been uh put in place it's just it's so disturbing it's like a dog whistle has been blown uh and and they are running uh and earnestly trying to topple um you know, the things that have been built in in place for years. It's got to be a scary time for women in the United States and minority groups and people raising daughters as well. Have you noticed that they they talk all the time about a personal God? You know, he's a personal God. He's personal. He's real to me. He lives in my heart, right? A personal relationship with Jesus. But the focus is to institute a national God. And I just find that is 
you know, they're, they're not pitching a relationship with Jesus. They're pitching a Christian version of Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're either unaware of the irony that they are promoting theocracy over democracy, or they don't care because they get to be the ones in charge mm-hmm. and sit at the head of the table and treat the rest of us like second-class citizens. They dole out the scraps, and we're supposed to say thank you. And uh, we're, we're fighting hard down here in the United States, Janice, to try to undo what has been done, but it's going to be a long uphill fight for sure. It's also chilling to me when I recognize uh, echoes of my former self in um, in what's being promoted there, because I absolutely was the mother who homeschooled my children to try and protect them from Satan, didn't yeah. want them impacted by the world in any way, so tried to carefully construct their environment at all times uh, so that the devil just couldn't um, get in there. And I earnestly believed I was doing the right thing. And and I did attend, uh, you know, protests when my one of my daughters was in junior high youth group, and we went and stood across from the hospital and protested the abortions and everything. Now I look back on that, and it's it's horrifying. Uh, it's I hope it's encouraging to some, just as a reminder that change is possible. Anybody can change. We don't like to recognize that sometimes, but change is possible. You changed. Your ideology, your entire worldview and beliefs changed, and mine changed as well. And there, are, it's that way for a lot of people. Yeah, it's funny, too, because there, a lot of people, Christians, will look at me and say, well, I don't care what proof you see for God, you'll never change your mind. But I look at him, I'm like, you are standing in front of someone who has changed his position on almost mm-hmm. every major thing in his life. Mm-hmm. If anyone is proof that they can change their mind, you're looking at him. And that's yeah. the assurance I try to give them. Right. And that is so different from people who cling so tightly to their religious ideology, because, of course, it's their identity as well. And they say, I don't care what what happens. I'll never change. I'll never abandon Jesus. I'll never forsake um, God. And so then they've made their circle quite small as to who they'll invite in, who they'll listen to. I wish we could dial back um the temperature, dial it down, because it doesn't even feel safe uh, to try and have conversations sometimes with people. And we do need to be aware of that. I think it's even scarier in the United States because there is that issue of um, gun violence that seems to really plague um, your country. And and we even saw recently uh, where a former student went into a Christian school and um, you know, shot and killed people in that school. And then there are questions about, well, did something else go on there? Was there a history with that school? We have to be, we need to start paying attention. But it's only half the people who seem to be wanting to pay attention. The other half don't want to look because they don't want gun uh, restrictions. In a country where we have more guns than citizens, we have 400 million firearms in this country. And John Stewart was uh, speaking to an Oklahoma politician. This was a few weeks ago. And he asked this question, like, it, like when do we become safe? Like, how many firearms? What's the number? Like, is 400 million not enough? I mean, you want to continue to deregulate firearms 
without a license. Maybe you don't need an ID. I don't know, whatever. I mean, at what point do we hit that magic number where we are safe? And uh, there's so much going on here. First of all, we've got Americans who are pathetically ignorant of their history. They don't see the Second Amendment in its context. I actually wrote about the Second Amendment and American gun culture in my book, Confessions of a Former Fox News Christian. There's a crusader aspect to it. I think guns make them feel powerful. They are now a soldier, literal soldier in God's army, and they are Mm -hmm. ready to uh, do battle in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. If the rogue, the devils are to rise up against them, I think it's there's some ego there, right? Look at me, Mm -hmm. my big guns. I think And the irony of it is that these are people who claim divine protection. If you read the book of Matthew, you know, not a a sparrow will fall from the sky apart Mm -hmm. from your father's care. Are you not worth more than many sparrows, right? Mm -hmm. We are under his watch, the greatest, most powerful, omnipotent being in the history of history has our back. And yet, for some reason, we have to run down to the gun show. And we have to load up on all the, you know, the firearms that we can and all the mm-hmm. ordnance that we can, because you mm-hmm. never know who's coming in. We lock mm-hmm. our doors and we click our seatbelts and we rig our alarm systems and we load our mace cans. You know, I'm talking as if I'm a believer. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a totally hypocritical culture. God mm-hmm. cares enough about me to measure my steps and to count the hairs on my head. He's got my back. I have no worries. Whom shall I fear? Mm-hmm. And then they spend all day in fear. Mm-hmm. It's maddening. Boy, it is. And I wonder, what do you think about the idea or the possibility or even just the hope that um, what's going on right now is just the last desperate gasp of, uh, you know, old white Christian men who are, uh, well, frankly, you know, if over the next 10 years, a lot of them are going to be gone. Um, do you think that factors in as well? Yeah, I do. I was talking to Natalie about this, and it sounds terrible. I, I Please receive this in the spirit in which I intend, but there is a generation that's just going to have to die off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is a generation that is locked in to antiquated ideas. They are Mm -hmm. desperate to hold on to whatever threads of power they can hold on to. They don't want to share this world equally. They've married themselves to the myth of the good old days, right? Make America great again as part of that. I actually have done some writing about this. You know, they, they have this soft focus view of what we once were and returning to that is the goal. And I'm like, okay, well, when is that? Was it in the fifties when, you know, we were in, uh, in the middle of the cold war and we were doing nuclear drills in the schools for the kids. Was it before we had found vaccines for this disease or that disease? Was it back before women had equal pay in the workplace when it was illegal to marry a person of color? You know, I mean, tell me exactly when, when was this greatness that we had? And nobody can really nail it down because they've got a Norman Rockwell painting in their brain of what they think it might have once been, this totally airbrushed Mm -hmm. idea of our history. Most of it having, unfortunately, at its core, a kind of white supremacy. This was Mm -hmm. white society, white men setting the rules, Mm -hmm. uh, white Christianity, 
governing the temperature of the culture and who could go where and what the rules and the laws were, et cetera. And um, I think there, there have been some in that older generation that have finally seen the light and they've mm-hmm. been able to get out of those bad ideas. But I think there's, there's just going to have to be a whole generation that passes away peacefully in their sleep, whatever. <laughs> and the baton then gets passed to the rest of us, right? And I think mm-hmm. those next generations will increasingly be more progressive-minded. They'll be more equality-minded. I think they'll be uh, more about humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, bigotry will always exist, but there's a specific flavor to our great-grandparents and grandparents' generation, hell, my parents' generation, that I just think I they may just need to go whenever they go, and then in 15 years, things may get a little easier. <laughs> right. Yeah. Know, does it sound terrible when I say it like that, Janice? Like, I'm not, I don't want anybody mm-hmm. to die, but damn it, you're in the way, kind of thing, <laughs> you know? So. My, my concern, uh, I have a lot of concern for, um, children who are being uh, homeschooled, who are being isolated um, in very fundamentalist um, religious family groups. And these kids, they really can get to, they can go through their whole 12 years uh, of early education, and they haven't had exposure uh, to the world at large and to how other people think. And in fact, they, they've been taught to fear other people who think differently uh, than they do. So I don't know. I'd be curious to know if the number of those homeschool families is growing or diminishing, because I think a lot of Christian parents during COVID uh, opted to homeschool. And I don't know if those parents ever returned their kids to school or not. And then uh, that speaks also to conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists. And even though they wouldn't say they are religious in the way that we have known religion, um, they absolutely do have a religious type of zeal and fervor and fundamentalism in their thinking around their particular conspiracy. And rarely does one hold just one conspiracy theory. I was. Um showing a graphic from if it's in a homeschool curriculum but it's also a private school curriculum uh the ace program oh god that's so terrible and it was uh it's part of my purity culture speech and it shows Mm. the teachings toward young girls and there's this little girl and i mean in the drawing she can't even be freaking 12 and she's looking and she's got her a skirt's real long, you know, ankle length, and her arms are covered. And it's like, oh, this is good. And another outfit, oh, this is appropriate. And then there's one where just a little bit of her knees are showing. And she's like, too little to wear. I must look right always. And uh, I, I heard it said once, and I agree, that religious homeschooling and private Christian schooling, these are ideology first, not education first uh-huh. cultures. Mm-hmm. And I came out of that. I had a private Christian school. I was Christian homeschooled for about half a year in the middle of all that. It was ideology first. This is who you are. This is what you think. This is how you will vote. This is who you will marry. This is how your entire life is going to be mapped out. And instead of really teaching me to understand the world, 
They told me I was apart from the world, not to trust anybody in the world. And then when they sent me out, I was, I had all these sort of, um, I had armor all around me, you know, nothing mm-hmm. else is going to get in. And, mm-hmm. and it took uh, decades for something to finally get in. That's how powerful indoctrination is. I was part of that culture. I was an ignorance culture. I was a bigotry culture. I was part of a sexually shamed culture. And and that's a long journey. And I don't know, maybe I'm still on it. You know, I think everybody's a work in progress. And I count myself along those lines as well. Mm, it's It can be so um, confusing then when we do start interacting with more worldly people and seeing that they're actually some pretty good people, good yeah. sense of humor. They seem to have decent ethics, even though they don't. Uh, profess to love Jesus or love God or the Bible, maybe even they're hostile to those things, but they do have a code of ethics uh, that they are living their life by, law-abiding citizens. And when that is completely the opposite to what we were taught by our parents and our church and our Christian schools, um, there is a lot of confusion that can take place. And that's one of the reasons I think that the best way to reach people and to change minds is not to run in the room with data points. It just doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. We change people's social circle. We are flesh and blood, three-dimensional human beings first. Let's find some common ground. Let's create relationships. Let's be human beings in the same zone. And then it becomes a whole lot harder to put Seth Andrews in a box. If I Mm -hmm. walk in with a shirt that says, I'm an atheist. Okay, well, that I just made things a lot harder for me. I'm not saying you should never wear an atheist shirt, but if I'm going in to try to create a circle of influence where we can exchange ideas, I walk in and, and, you know, we'll play a tennis match or we'll go out and have coffee and we'll... We'll get to know each other. We'll laugh. They begin to feel more safe. Hey, Seth's a good guy, loves his wife. He's got a beautiful home. He cares about people. He seems to be of good moral character. And then if my non-belief in God's comes up, man, it's a whole lot harder to make me a caricature, to stick me in a box, to kick me Mm -hmm. to the curb, because you've already connected as a human being with me. You know, Seth's an atheist, but he's such a good guy. I had one guy the other day tell me, He's like, you're an atheist activist. He said, but you're actually a better Christian than most of the Christians I know. (laughs) Right? And the reason he said that is because we got to become friends well before we ever started talking about the meaning of life. And I I think that's what we do, I think, with a lot of these cocoon people like we once were. Mm -hmm. Being introduced to the outside world and showing them it's not necessarily all that scary. I don't bite. I'm not venomous. I'm not going to sprout horns and fangs. I'm not going to drink your blood, blah, blah, blah. Maybe, maybe I'm a good person Mm -hmm. and we're sharing this planet together. You can get there. Then all of a sudden, some other doors begin to crack open and you never know where those doors are going to take you. Mm. That sounds so uh, encouraging and (laughs) hopeful. Um, And, and, somewhat tricky in an age where people really are their their ideology and their identity are so fused and of course and i'm thinking uh of very right-wing people but you know certainly those uh, some on the left fall into that as well and so any 
uh, poking, trying to poke any holes in the belief system is taken very personally. It's taken as a personal affront because their uh, identity is so unmeshed with their ideology. Uh, and that can make it really hard when the most important thing to somebody is whether or not you know Jesus or you love Jesus or you follow God's commandments. That makes it hard to try and have conversations uh, with those people. And I think you're absolutely right. We need to focus on what we have in common, what we share in common. It's not always possible. I mean, I, I, it cost, it's cost me a relationship, a good relationship with my, my father passed away, but, but we weren't close. Mm-hmm. Right? My, my dad believed that unless the eternal question is answered, nothing else can really be talked about. Like we have to solve this. And so we couldn't, find a lot of ground in common. You know, it, there are times when it, uh, we want it to work, we want it to happen, but it just won't. I think my journey included not blaming myself. You know, it, it's not my fault that somebody else is so indoctrinated that they can't celebrate our shared humanity because they're so wrapped up in this mythology, this, mm-hmm. you know, this heaven and hell question. You know, dad was... You know, he was a perpetrator of some bad ideas. He was also a victim of bad ideas. My mother and I, not close, uh, because in her mind, I got to be fixed. And that's the primary concern for her. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes it is possible, I think, to open people's circles up. I think one of the bigger challenges, excuse me, <clears throat> that we have in the age of the internet is. Social media is a terrible place for us to humanize each other mm-hmm. because, and I've been guilty of this and 240 characters, my, I want to win. I want the gotcha. I want to look smart. I want to look, I'm going to use my snark. Mm-hmm. I want to, I'm going to post the meme. I'm going to screenshot the dumb idea and show everybody how stupid it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to rally my friends and they're all going to hit the like button and they're going to retweet or share and they're going to mm-hmm. validate. And, and, uh, And you're right, too, that it's not just, I mean, we can all be guilty of a kind of closed-minded dogmatism. We can all be guilty of irrational thinking, this Mm -hmm. idea that atheists are all rational. No, we're human (laughs) beings. The idea that my fellow liberals are always right or kind or good or or whatever. They know, yeah, now I've I've met a lot of dogmatic people on the left. Mm -hmm. And if you say, well, you're being dogmatic, they're like, how dare you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's a dogmatic response. <laughs> You're validating what I'm telling you. I'm just, I'm having a conversation. Uh, you know, we to get past all of these human knee jerks, these emotional connections, you know, we develop a personal relationship and fall in love with our ideas. And, uh, you know, I, I, that in the age of the internet is really, really hard because then the algorithms kick in. Now I'm in this further uh-huh microcosm where uh, the algorithms are all validating me mm-hmm. and uh, plus i'm a warrior against the idiots and so i'm getting fed the most idiotic posts so now right. all of my opponents are all represented by the idiots you know janice oh, i'm just dear. i really had to measure myself i've had to measure my time online i've mm-hmm. had to dial it back because i started mm-hmm. it started to change me you ever feel that mm-hmm. like when you log mm-hmm. on and you felt part of yourself begin to change and not in good ways and i've mm-hmm. i've had to really readjust my own approach to the online world in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's actually um, 
very important for us to be able to do to recognize uh, if we are crossing a tipping point and to be able to sometimes then uh, either step away for a time or limit our social media interaction. Or I have clients that I encourage sometimes to consume less news or make sure that they're balancing the daily news and political stuff that they're getting, try and balance that with uh, a healthy dose of encouraging news or, you know, go to the Upworthy site, spend some time there. There are still good people all around the world, even some of those folks that we have such a hard time with, um, you know, very politically right wing. Even some of them are very good people and kind people and they would help their neighbor uh, and they would, you know, volunteer at their kid's school or do those kinds of things. So again and again, we need to be trying to look for our common, um, common humanity, but while keeping in mind, you know, while holding things loosely. I like, I really hope things will go a certain way. I want to be prepared if they don't quite go that way. And that's what I think of in the U.S. right now for parents who are raising uh, daughters or who have a child um, that's LGBTQ or um, trans. Like those are, there's a lot of threats and, and anger that seems to be floating around and aimed at them right now. So uh, doing what we can to protect our kids and set a good example is yeah. something we need to be keeping in mind. I agree completely. Mm. I wonder about um, magical thinking and the role that magical thinking is playing today in politics. So uh, when I consider magical thinking, I think of my religious days. And I think of how, of course, miracles made total sense because God, because God could suspend uh, any laws of physics or anything else. And the, I thought the Bible was completely true. Donkeys talked, the sun stood still, a virgin gave birth, all these things. Um, and then also, I believed that I had a cosmic big brother watching over me all the time, you know, pulling strings behind the scenes to make everything work for my good, even when I couldn't see it. And that, to me, is magical thinking. And in some ways, it was a huge protection from the harshness of reality. But eventually, we leave that garden of innocence and move to the experience phase where our eyes are opened and we recognize the world isn't as we thought it was. Um, what 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 are your thoughts on magical thinking? Can you see ways that you thought magically and ways that you think politics today might be impacted still by magical thinking? Yeah, I, I think you and I walk some of the same steps. God can bend matter, space, and time. So now the goalposts are always in motion. Like no matter what you tell me, you know, oh. Giants, people live to be a thousand years old. Um, you know, donkeys spoke in Hebrew. People flew to heaven on a flying fiery chariot, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's just God. God can, you know, I mean, nothing's beyond God. He was doing, in fact, the more outlandish it is, the more divine it must have been. Right. And, uh, you know, this was a really convenient way for us to say, well, you know, we live in a physical world with, uh, with laws. But the very nature of God is that he doesn't have to abide by those laws. Mm -hmm. And it's really slippery. But I have an angle on magical thinking that I think relates to our modern day 
a lot of people have asked me why so many of the fundamentalist religious are also conspiracy theorists. Now, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. There are some say I've met flat earth atheists. What? I've yes. met the reptilians oh, are among us atheists. Oh, no. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is exclusive to religious people. Right. But I have noticed, especially in sort of right-wing evangelical MAGA culture, mm-hmm. that conspiracy theories just root easily and they go deep and they take hold and they won't freaking go away. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is due to the fact that the priming of that comes from a religion that is itself a conspiracy theory. Yes. Christianity is a conspiracy theory. <laughs> the ultimate, there, yep. <laughs> right? There is, there is a God who puts a plan in motion. Uh-oh, somebody within the organization goes rogue. They are kicked out, and then they begin to scheme against the parent organization to thwart the plans of the Almighty. And so now the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy the mm-hmm. schemer, right? And the whole concept of Christianity, the entire foundation of the religion is itself a cons- conspiracy theory. Once you've got people primed, to believe that unbelievable stuff whenever other stuff comes along, anti-vax or QAnon or Flat Earth or the Illuminati or whatever. But they're much more easily going to lean into that kind of stuff because mm-hmm. they've already started. Their whole foundational worldview is itself a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. I read an article a few years ago about how children who were taught to think in magical ways would grow up and have a harder time determining what was real and what was not. Yeah. And I think uh, that is a real challenge. And in the post-truth era, and I think this is going to get worse as we see digital media being able to, you can manipulate it soon oh. to the point where you won't even be able to tell if the person you're seeing and hearing on video is the person. Right. Or the is it a deep stuff. fake? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Is it a, is it all did, did someone Photoshop them into that photograph or were they actually there? Can you trust wow. your eyes and ears? Uh, I don't know if there's a, I'm terrified mm-hmm. about um, how all of these tools of misinformation, disinformation, conspiracy, mm-hmm. et cetera, are going to continue to become more problematic in the days, months and years ahead. I've got an interview coming up with Professor Nita Farahani. She is at Duke University. She is an expert in neurotechnologies and how our minds can be hacked and how we can be tricked and how wow. we can't trust all the stuff we're seeing and doing. And before you know it, you know, it's gonna, we're going to have wearables on our heads that can measure our brains when they do this or that and even affect what we see and hear. And oh, my God. Right. And uh, so you tie religion into that. And I, you know, we're going to have to be very vigilant moving Mm -hmm. forward to be able to Mm -hmm. tether ourselves into the real world and help others to do the same. Mm, That is so true. And even just to, to be religious in the first place, to be a true believer is to apply uh, the willing uh, suspension of disbelief. And, and that's what people do also then when it comes to conspiracy theories. Once we open the door a crack to, well, maybe there are times that, uh, the laws of physics, uh, don't apply. You know, we open it that one little bit and then we have to be considering all these other 
things. Oh, maybe that's true. Oh, maybe that's true. Oh, maybe we are living in a simulation, whatever the, whatever the thing is, but we're definitely primed for it. If we grow up in a religious environment where we are chided for lack of belief. So, well, and all, we're also primed to see anyone who brings a contradicting point of view as an agent of the devil. Yeah. So the fact that you come with me with the contradictory data actually reaffirms that I am right. Even though your data contradicts me, well, you're an agent of Satan. You've come to instill doubt, which is a sin. It is weakness. It is an attack on my spirit. And the fact that you've come to attack me now validates the fact that I was right to be. So not only are you wrong and I'm right, I'm doubly right. Mm -hmm. It's so difficult to have these conversations with that mindset in place. Yeah, it uh Religion is definitely a mindfuck on many, on no. many levels, so it could be tricky for us to um, to get around that. I, I'm curious about uh, your new podcast that you have going, True Stories with Seth Andrews. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I've been doing The Thinking Atheist. Uh, the website launched in 2009, so that's 14 years. The podcast has been going on for 13 years, and wow. it's my first love. I, I've mm -hmm been so honored to be able to do it. I think we all want to make a difference. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I came out of religion with something to say, and I was mm -hmm. hoping maybe I could help encourage others to do the same. But I'll tell you, Janice, I mean, you can only debunk the Adam and Eve story so many times. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Noah's Ark, uh, yeah, the virgin birth, <laughs> no, no, the book of Revelation. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, I, how many of the arguments how many of the discussions, over 600-some podcasts, you know, the eye is too complex to have evolved, and Hitler was an atheist, and how did something come from nothing? <laughs> and uh, look at the pretty trees, and the argument from complexity, and what caused the Big Bang, and what created the first cell. I mean, just, uh, uh, <laughs> I was just, and I really needed something fresh. I needed something that would be a, a new storytelling exercise and also help me keep the other work more fresh as well. Mm -hmm. I love storytelling. I, I do a an annual October ghost story show for the Thinking uh -huh. Atheist. We It's been a tradition for over a decade. And we just sit around the virtual campfire and we tell great ghost stories. And I would mm -hmm. write an original one every single year. And I've done that for a decade. Highly wow. produced. Um, you know, I... You I take you on a journey, you know, and, and I, there's a storyteller in me that just wants to, the, the broadcast storyteller, there's something special about that moment. And I was inspired by an AM broadcaster named Paul Harvey. I don't oh, have yeah. a lot in common with his politics, but he used to do a show called The Rest of the Story. Right. And this was must-listen radio. Every weekday at five o'clock. <laughs> would stop whatever you were doing and you'd listen for three and a half minutes as he told you a story about something real, some person who did this, who did that. And he passed away 15 years ago. His son took over. That was horrible. The show went dead and, you know, oh, no. it, it was dropped in, in three weeks. And I've oh, never no. heard anybody do the rest of the story format, like a short form five minute vignette with kind of a kicker at the end, a surprise. And so to pay homage to Paul Harvey, but using my own storytelling style, I wanted to sort of resurrect this kind of show. And so 
Uh, True Stories releases three times a week, and it can be anything. It can be a story about ancient history. It can be last month's headline. It can be weird news, true crime, celebrity trivia. I'll give you an example just in 30 seconds. But uh, one of my first stories was about uh, um, a guy named John. He worked for the Air Force just after the Second World War. He was a decoder, and he would monitor Russian transmissions during the Cold War and then pass them on to our military commanders. And there was a lot of buzz one day on these coded signals about Joseph Stalin, the horrible dictator and leader of Russia who had been gravely ill. And so he was passing this information up the chain of command. Joseph Stalin is gravely ill. Doctors have been summoned and he would get this stuff, decode it and pass it up until finally late in that day, He heard and decoded the message that Joseph Stalin had died. And this is Russia's. Russia wanted to keep this information quiet, at least Mm -hmm. at first. They wanted to control who found out about it because this could uh, signal a balance shift in world powers. But John, the Air Force decoder, passed it up to his commander, who passed it up the chain of command to the ear of President Eisenhower. And I found this interesting because John, the Air Force decoder, would be a man who would one day go on to meet presidents, two presidents, in fact. Outside of his military career, he was also an artist, a man who would one day be inducted into both the Rock and Roll and Country Hall of Fame, the John who decoded that first message about the death of Stalin was also the John who walked the line and went down to that burning ring of fire and sang the Folsom Prison Blues, Johnny Cash. Believe it. That's amazing. Isn't that fun? <laughs> that is so fun. And that's fun. the kind of thing. Like, there's so much good stuff in the real world, stuff that happens all around us that's interesting, but also true. That I thought, wouldn't it be fun to take five minutes, three times a week, and just take people on that ride? And oh. so I've got 100 and I guess 110 shows out. I think we're approaching 400,000 downloads and we're getting noticed out there. And so. how exciting. Yeah, that it's, is it's really fun. fun. And it's yeah. um, encouraging and inspiring and interesting in a yeah. time when we really need that. So thank you for your service. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it, my, my dad used to say truth is stranger than fiction. I don't know if that's true, but I, I do know that there are so many amazing things fascinating things, interesting things, alarming things uh, out there that if you look, there are plenty of human stories to tell. And I also think that, you know, stories are how we open minds. Stories are how we change Mm -hmm. minds. Again, even in my other work, when I walk into a room, if I tell you the Islamic regime is oppressing people, you're like, okay, that's terrible. Pass the salt, right? I mean, it, it doesn't, you hear it, And you realize that we don't feel it. Mm -hmm. But if I tell you the story of Masa Amini Mm -hmm. and how she had not worn a hijab properly and they beat the shit out of Mm -hmm. her and they dragged her to prison where she was dead of her injuries and then blamed Mm -hmm. her. And then the uprising of women and men throughout Iran, the Iran revolution, as we Mm -hmm. see perhaps a historic zeitgeist change in a culture that is so long oppressed people. Will the Islamic regime one day fall? We do not know. But if you if you tell the story wrapped in a person's story, what happened to them in their mind, in their heart, their person, their family, their friends, their values, their legacy, it just adds a whole new layer. And you begin to take that stuff personally. And uh, I, I'm convinced in this world, if we're going to go out and 
change minds, that means we tell the human stories and there are plenty to tell. Wow. Wow. Well, I just wish you continued success. And I'm gonna subscribe as soon as we're <laughs> since oh, we're done because you. I want to be thank getting you. those stories very uh, as well. And thanks so much for giving up some time today to join oh, me yeah. so we can have this chat. It was really interesting. Uh, your family. You just call me anytime. Have your people call my people and we'll talk, <laughs> Janice. And I look forward oh. to seeing you soon. Okay. Wonderful. Thanks, Seth. And thank you for uh, joining us today on the Divorcing Religion podcast. And you can reach me through my website, divorcing-religion.com. And don't forget to buy your tickets to the upcoming Conference on Religious Trauma happening in October. Thanks, everyone. Take care now.